So we assess the situation. If there's no cars around, we reason that it's safe to cross, even if it's not legal to do so. Am I right? We all have our own individual risk tolerances. My risk tolerance, my risk level is different than your risk tolerance, your risk level. And we all have this different level of risk tolerance, what we're willing to risk, uh, based on the perceived benefits. And I, I know we come from a lot of examples, but in this jaywalking case, we are willing to cross based on the perceived benefits that we get to where we are going just a little bit faster, and then we can get on with our day. Uh, we are in Daniel chapter 4 today. I'm going to the book of Daniel. We've done a few chapters, so let me first summarize the first three chapters quickly. In chapter 1, the Israelites are conquered by the Babylonians, and they're forced to learn a new language, uh, new education, even new food. Daniel's friends ask, hey, can we just only eat vegetables? And, he, and, and they're allowed to. Eventually, they were just wiser or smarter than all the other magicians and, and enchanters in the whole kingdom. In chapter 2, King Nebuchadnezzar has a dream and no one can interpret it except for Daniel. And not only does Daniel interpret it, but he also tells him the actual contents of the dream itself. And then in chapter 3, King Nebuchadnezzar builds a huge image of gold. And he demands people bow down to it, um, or else. And so Daniel's friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, uh, they refuse to, and they're thrown into a place of fire. God saves them, and King Nebuchadnezzar promotes them to high places. And so now today, chapter 4, King Nebuchadnezzar, well, well, we'll see what happens to him. Uh, we will begin in verse 4. So here are Bibles at Daniel 4.4. 4. I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at the home in my palace, contented and prosperous. I had a dream that made me afraid. As I was lying in the bed, in bed, the images and visions that passed through my mind terrified me. So I commanded all that all the wise men of Babylon be brought before me to interpret the dream for me. You know, my first thought was, I've read this before. This is a repeat of chapter 2, right? But it's not. And I'm thinking, if you had another troubling dream, King Nebuchadnezzar, why didn't you go directly to Daniel? Didn't Daniel already prove himself to you on the dream interpretation? Why waste time with all these useless wizards? Alright, so let's see what happens. In verse 7, when the magicians, enchanters, astrologers, and diviners came, I told them the dream, but they could not interpret it for me. Finally, Daniel came into my presence and I told him the dream. He is called Belshazzar after the name of my God, and the spirit of the holy gods is in him. So Daniel comes, and in verses 9 through 17, which we're going to skip, uh, King Nebuchadnezzar explains the dream to Daniel. Uh, we're going to skip it in part through the time and the fact that Daniel kind of he will kind of summarize everything anyway um, as he talks it, so it's kind of repetitive. So let's pick it up back in verse 18. So verses 9 through 17, King Nebuchadnezzar tells him his dream. Okay? So he tells him the dream, and then, then we'll pick it up here. This is the dream that I, King Nebuchadnezzar, had. Now, Belshazzar, tell me what it means, for none of the wise men in my kingdom can interpret it for me. But you can. Because the spirit of the holy gods is in you. So Nebuchadnezzar basically has another disturbing dream, and again he gathers all his wizards. And he asks them the meaning of the dream, but guess what? They can't tell him what the dream means. They have no clue. And so he calls in Daniel, and to no one's surprise, Daniel is able to interpret the dream. 
None of my wise men can interpret the dream, but you can. My first thought was, if you were so confident that Daniel could interpret your dream, why didn't you go to him in the first place? If you were so confident that Daniel could interpret your dream, why didn't you go to him in the first place? Hasn't Daniel proved himself by now? Are they thinking the same thing? Like, go to him first. In chapter 1, we saw that Daniel and his friends were the wisest of all the new recruits. In chapter 2, Daniel was interpreted the, the first troubling dream, the one with the, I don't remember, it's the one with the statue and the, the, the statue made of different materials and the raw prints and the stories of it. In chapter 3, he threw Daniel's friend into the fiery furnace. They survived. He witnessed firsthand how God saved them. In his, his own list in chapter 3, Surely your God is the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. Surely. So then why then after all this, King Nebuchadnezzar goes to his fake wizards first again when he has another troubling dream? Why wouldn't he just go directly to Daniel? So this leads me to my first point. Sometimes we go to God as our last resort. Sometimes when we encounter big issues, we spend all our energy uh, First, trying to do things on our own for our resources. And once those fail, then we go to God. Then we are finally desperate enough to go to God. Then we start praying. Just like King Nebuchadnezzar did. Again, he uses all the resources dealt him first, and only then, until he's, until he's desperate, then he goes again. The last person he can go to. I think at times we are more like King Nebuchadnezzar did more than we think. I've counseled many students throughout my new ministry career, and one of the first questions I ask is, have you prayed God? Because anything he says is going to trump anything that I say. Let's make it a habit to go to God first, not last. Okay, verse 19. Then Daniel, also called Belteshazzar, was greatly perplexed for a time, and his thoughts terrified him. So the king said, Belteshazzar, do not let the dream words be alarming. Belteshazzar answered, My Lord, if only the dream applies to your enemies and speed to your adversaries. You know that phrase, go to the messenger? You know the phrase? Yeah, why, do we, why do we think that phrase even exists, go to the messenger? Probably because messengers were killed just because of the bad news they brought, right? They had nothing to do with the bad news, they were just the messenger. So King Nebuchadnezzar is trying to confront Daniel. Don't be alarmed. I'm not going to hurt you if you give me bad news. Just give it to me straight. What is the dream? But Daniel's fear is not a fear of his own life. His fear is for King Nebuchadnezzar. He even says, I wish this dream applied to your enemies and not you. I wish this applied to your enemies and not you. I don't know what Daniel thought about the king, but we can probably guess based on King Nebuchadnezzar's actions in previous chapters. And how much we know about Daniel? Daniel's nation was conquered by him, right? By King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar worshipped different gods and idols and threatened to kill people who didn't worship his gods and idols. I would say Daniel and King Nebuchadnezzar probably were the best of friends. And even so, Daniel is still concerned for the king. My Lord, if only this dream applied to your enemies and its meaning to your adversaries. So this is my second point. I think Daniel's actions here encourage us to pray for rulers, especially 
We should care for people in power, even people who abuse their power. We should appeal to their humanity, not their sinfulness. If we treated world rulers as people given responsibility by God, whether they are Christian or not, what if, what, what if we did that? Those people may respond to an appeal to right and wrong. I worked at a previous company, and my direct manager, so it's me and my direct manager, and we both worked under uh, the director, director level. And the director was, he was very difficult to work with. And one day my direct manager told me that he heard a sermon that urged people to pray for those they don't get along with, like our director. And it was very convicting for both of us, and very difficult. And I know the slide up there just says pray for others, but like my people is like, go pray for others. Like, if we've been Christians for any length of time, right, this seems very obvious to us. But what I really mean is, and I, I, I just wanted to keep it short, is pray for people you don't like. Pray for world leaders that you don't like or counter to your faith, just like anyone. Pray for the kid in your class who's really annoying, the one that you don't get along with. Pray for your coworkers. Or your in-laws who seem to get on your nerves. Pray for your boss who finds difficult to work with. Or the one that you have a hard time respecting. Pray for a government leader who is the opposite political party from you. These are difficult things, but this is what Daniel is doing here. He doesn't get along with King Nebuchadnezzar. King Nebuchadnezzar is just completely different faith and he does different things. But he's still saying, I, I wish this dream didn't allow you. Alright, so let's, let's get on to the actual dream. The tree you saw, and this is probably skipped, right? But then Daniel summarizes. The tree you saw, which grew large and strong, with its top touch in the sky, visible to the Lord, with beautiful leaves and abundant fruit, providing food for all, giving shelter to the wild animals, and having nesting places in its branches for the birds. Your Majesty, you are that tree. You have become great and strong. Your greatness has grown until it reaches the sky. Your dominion extends to the distant parts of the earth. All right, this makes sense so far, right? King Nebuchadnezzar has a vast Babylonian empire, and, and he's that he's that tree. All right, your tree. Your Majesty saw a holy one, a messenger coming down from heaven, and saying, "Cut down that tree. Cut down the tree and destroy it. But leave the stump." Bound with iron and bronze and the grass of the field, while its roots remain in the ground. Let him be drenched with the dew of heaven. Let him live with the wild animals until seven times past him. Okay, now this is not good. The tree is cut down to the stone. This is the interpretation of your majesty, and this is the decree that most lines issued against my lord the king. You will be driven away from the people and will live with wild animals. You will eat grass like the oxen. And, and be drenched with the dew of heaven. Seven times will pass for you until you acknowledge that the Most High Sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. Okay, this is really not good. King Nebuchadnezzar will be going from the highest human position, right? He's the king of everything, to, to the lowest position living with the animals. The command to leave the stump of the tree with his roots means that your kingdom will be will be will be restored to you when you acknowledge that heaven rules. And here, here it is here. Therefore, your majesty, be pleased to accept my advice. Here's my advice. 
Renounce your sins by doing what is right and wickedness by being kind to the oppressed. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. He had a chance. He had a chance. King Nebuchadnezzar had a chance. He could have repented. It may be then that your prosperity will continue. He was warned and he had a chance. His fate had not yet been decided. For King Nebuchadnezzar, whatever good he had done, the reality was that he trampled on the poor so that he could build massive buildings to glorify himself. He apparently had some little to no mercy to the Lord. You remember chapter 2? Interpret my dreams or die. Remember chapter 3? Bow down to this image or die. Nice guy, huh? If he wasn't going to show mercy to his closest advisors, how do you think he was going to treat like the average Job? And the thing is, this was not yet the final judgment. There was still time to repent and turn from his ways. His fate wasn't sealed. This dream was to encourage him to change. He still had a chance. All this happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. We're picking up verse 28. Twelve months later, a year later, a year later, as the king was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon, he said, Oh man, King Nebuchadnezzar, don't do it. Don't do it. Is this not the great Babylon I have built as the royal residence by my mighty power and for the glory of my majesty? Oh man, you did it. And if this isn't foreshadowing, man, I don't know what it is. Even as the words were on his lips, even as the words were on his lips, the voice came from heaven, this is what is decreed for you, King Nebuchadnezzar. Your royal authority has been taken from you. Oh, man. The hammer is about to fall. You will be driven away from people and will live with the wild animals. You will eat last like an ox. Seven times will pass through you until you acknowledge that the Most High is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and gives them to anyone he wishes. The voice from heaven is done. Man, you are so done, King Nebuchadnezzar. Immediately what has been said about Nebuchadnezzar was fulfilled. He was driven away from people in a grass like an ox. His body was drenched with the dew of heaven until his hair grew like the feathers of an eagle and his nails like the claws of a bird. This is like an amazing and a terrible image at the same time. He's eating grass. His body is drenched with dew. He's got feathers and claws. He looked like an eagle in the pandemic. <laughs> <laughs> it's not like a too many left. Sometimes we humans, we live for ourselves and we build our own kingdoms. And we think we made it. We're successful. We did it our way. Do you know what I'm saying? And yet in one terrible moment, a phone call, a text, a health test result, a few words from a doctor, and our secure foundation can tremble and come falling down. Do you know what I'm talking about? One second, we are so secure in what is going on in our lives. And the next, shambles. I read a story from another pastor, and this happened to him, not me. This other pastor says, A man in his early 30s entered and he was in great distress. He told me of an extraordinary success story his life had been. 
how financially secure he and his wife have been. He reached that category of lifestyle in terms of surprise work they get by taking a car, paypal with cash. He just received news that his wife had only a few months to live. That acts have been laid to the tree of life for him. And one word from God, and he never knew his life was turned upside down. You know, Nebuchadnezzar wasn't wrong. And his achievements were remarkable. He had a ton of major renewal and, and construction programs. Do you remember last time when I mentioned this? I realized this a couple months ago. He built a beautiful Hanging Gardens of Babylon. Those were one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. That, that's impressive. You have to admit, you know, he did wrong for himself. But God gave Nebuchadnezzar plenty of time, plenty of time to repent. To make amends for his, his arrogant, self-serving, empire-building. He gave him dreams to warn him. God gave him faith to repent. So Nebuchadnezzar presumed on the patience of God. Like us sometimes. I'm only that. I'll clean up my act later. But my life continues to be okay. We come to get things right. I should change, but, uh, yeah, right? And as the days and weeks and months passed, and nothing terrible happened to King Nebuchadnezzar, I'm going to King Nebuchadnezzar was like, yeah. maybe it's just a bad dream. Didn't mean anything. We all have bad dreams that don't mean anything, right? It's all good. He's probably relieved. So he can continue on in his old ways. It's great until it isn't. I wonder if I'm any different. Even recently, while I was preparing for the sermon, I started about six weeks ago, I caught myself looking over my, my one-seventh of an acre plot of land in Temple City and being happy with the avocado tree in the backyard. We have an avocado tree. And a partial workshop that I built. And shelves in the garage that I built with some help from some of the college kids. Was I looking over my own little kingdom, happy with what I built, only to disregard God's warnings to me? This literally happened, and I stopped myself. I'm like, oh man, I have to listen to sermon. <laughs> I was reading an article on why people go warnings for extreme weather events, like tornadoes and hurricanes. People get warnings days ahead of time before hurricane or tornado comes. Should be plenty of time to evacuate. And research scientists have actually traveled to disaster areas, hard-hit cities and towns, to try to better understand why, why people ignored warning signs and they were killed in storms when they didn't have to be. And what they found out is people try to be pretty clever. They know that if their area in general is at risk, that doesn't necessarily mean that they're that able to hit their specific house, right? You, you see pictures like some houses are actually okay, while other houses are demolished. And they're thinking, maybe it will hit other houses, but maybe not mine. Maybe I can stay in a world that inconvenience of evacuating, right? Gotta pack a car and supplies and court documents, clean water. It's too mama. So what happens? People waited until tornadoes and hurricanes got moving close until they decided in order to leave. And by that time, there's only a few minutes left. 
And so all that had to be removed off the place. It was too late. Does this behavior make sense? People are doing what is called confirming the threat. And we all do this on a continuous basis. We have ample time to leave, but basically we want to see it for ourselves. We want to confirm the threat. If God slowly punished King Nebuchadnezzar, maybe he would have had a change of heart. I don't know. If his hair slowly turned into the feathers of the eagle, if his nails slowly turned into the claws of a bird, if he slowly lost power in the kingdom, maybe he could have seen it coming. Does that make sense? But King Nebuchadnezzar was confirming the threat. And some of us humans today, myself included, have the same way. We like to confirm the threat before we take any action. I mean, up until this point, all King Nebuchadnezzar has are words. Can't really see it coming. And imagine as each day passed, he figured out maybe maybe God forgot about it. Neither that stuff wasn't going to happen. Until it did. Do you remember the risk tolerance discussion for jaywalking that I talked about in the beginning of this message? In jaywalking, we are confirming the threat. We are confirming the threat. Are there any cars coming? No. Then I can safely walk across. I can ignore the warning. And now the answer is probably thinking, is there bad any bad happening to me? Well, no. Then I will continue on in my wicked ways. I don't need to change. He's playing that risk reward game, whether he realizes it or not. He's still enjoying life. He may have even forgotten the dream by now. It's been a year later, right? King Nebuchadnezzar had perceived benefits to get a nicer life for a while. There was no threat. This is a this is a diaper. I used to work for a company that made a ton of these. And by a ton of these, I mean a lot. The machines that make these old school divers are very, very big and very, very fast. There are a lot of moving parts, and they are made at very, very high speed. This is not the exact machine I worked on, but it's similar. This is a demonstration video, so the machine is running very slowly. You can see actually what is going on. When it's running, you can't see the point in place. The only difference is ours are much larger and much quicker. Uh, when you see a machine in action, it's very mesmerizing. I wish I, wish I could give you guys a tour. There are some, in this diaper, there is some 20 to 30 different components that make up a single disposable diaper. It's amazing to see a high-speed machine go all the components together. Uh, we have high-speed machine, or high-speed cameras that take a picture of each diaper. And there's something wrong with it. Say, like, something's not placed correctly. Uh, the system kicks it off the full shoot. It's thrown away. And we had tight specifications on diapers uh, in the millimeter range for some items. If, if a piece of light was not placed correctly or hot melt was not sprayed correctly within millimeters, it was off spec and the diaper would be kicked out. In the industries I worked in, safety, on the job safety, was hammered into us. We had to do things safely. There was not a production target where efficiency measures that were going to endanger yourselves. Let me repeat that. There was not a production target where efficiency measures that were going to endanger ourselves. The companies that work for always stress employee safety do not take dangerous shortcuts. Do it the right way. 
There were warning signs everywhere on these machines. In the plants, we also had our hearing protection, still close shoes, uh, half -half, some has half half respirators. One of the things we were taught was to never reach into a machine while it was running. Why? Why don't we reach into a machine while it's running? Because your hand or body part can get caught in something and you can get seriously injured, right? So one of my co-workers did exactly that. He reached into a machine and he got moderately hurt. What was his thinking process? They wanted to fix something, clear a minor jam or whatever. I still remember it. And they didn't want to stop the machine completely, fix the issue, and then start back up. It's a pain. The machine takes a while to slow down to a stop. We waste materials. As it slows down, we, we, the components are not placed correctly, and so all those diapers get tossed. We lose production time. At that point, he was thinking more about the inconvenience than his own safety, right? The coworker got away with water abrasions, but it could have been much worse. Ignored warning signs. There's a real story of a local blacksmith who bought a new dog. And in the beginning, um, you know, a blacksmith, you know, he's, he's, he's beating the hammer rhythmically on steel horseshoes, right? And every time the dog would just bark fiercely. And as time went on, the barking became less, became quieter and less frequent. Until one day, the blacksmith was hammering away the animal with his life. The dog was asleep by the fire. Didn't bother me. Got used to it. I've had coworkers who live next to trains, right? The first few months you can't sleep because the train's coming through the middle of the night. But after a few months, guess what happens? They're sleeping soundly. We get desensitized to this, don't we? So this brings me to my third and final point. Take God's word seriously. Take warnings seriously. I think King Nebuchadnezzar had gotten used to the hammering of the word of God. He ignored it, obviously, through his actions. Are we like King Nebuchadnezzar? I think we can get used to the hammering of the word of God, just like the dog got used to the hammering of the blacksmith. Week in, week out, Mike and Andy preaching up here, sometimes repent of our sins. Yeah, yeah, we've heard it all before, Andy. Yeah, yeah, we've been arrested. Okay, okay. But maybe we have some unconfessed, unrepented sin in our lives right now. Right now. And we don't stop. Why? You guys see where we have it and we're most welcome. Because nothing really bad has happened to us. Yeah, right? No issues. No different than King Nebuchadnezzar. Life was okay for a full year after the warning in the dream. And then, boom. I've had this moment, a keen Nebuchadnezzar moment like this, at least a couple times in my life. A time when God woke me down. I'm not sure if any of you have had a keen Nebuchadnezzar moment. It's not pleasant. But amazingly, today's passage against Baldwin, he never can just repent, so I'm going to skip the verse 34. 
At the end of that time, I never confessed or raised my eyes toward heaven, and, sent, and my sanity was restored. Then I praised the Most High, and I honored and glorified Him who lives forever. A change of heart. 36. At the time, at the same time that my sanity was restored, my honor and splendor were returned to me from the glory of my kingdom. My advisors and nobles saw me out, and I was restored to my throne and became even greater than before. Final verse. Now I am the of praise and exalt and glorify the King of Heaven, because everything He does is right, and all His ways are just. And those who walk in pride, He is able to humble. All those who walk in pride, He is able to humble, just like He never does. So He finally acknowledges God in the end. This tells me we are never too far outside of God's grace. We are never too far outside of God's grace. If you're sitting here today thinking that your sins are too bad or that you are too evil to be redeemed, you are wrong. So, so very wrong. Jesus Christ died for all of us, for all of our sins. Go to God first. Don't be like King Nebuchadnezzar and do everything on your own strength first. Go to God first. Pray for others, but really pray for people who don't like And don't pray against them, that they would fall. Pray for them. Take God's word seriously. The story of King Nebuchadnezzar is a warning to us today to not be led astray by our accomplishments, our achievements, our glory. Today's passage invites us to, to, to wrestle, invites us to look in the mirror and wrestle with our simple selves. If we genuinely, if we repent, genuinely repent, God forgives us and God restores us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, it is scary, so so scary what happened to King Nebuchadnezzar. I pray that you send the Spirit down to us to convict our hearts to take your words seriously Father. Help us rely on you and not our own strength. Help us go through the verse. Help us. Help us really, as we struggle in a divided nation, help us really pray for all, all leaders in the United States and in the world. Wars happen when it does